Welcome to Regenerated Radio. This podcast aims to take important theological concepts from a confessional Baptist perspective and apply them to a modern context in the life of the church and the individual believer. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to Regenerated Radio Season 2, Episode 4. I have with me today Scott Aniel, Dr. Scott Aniel, uh, who currently of Southwestern Theological, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and very soon to move over to G3. Uh, and so I'll let him introduce himself a little bit further in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to give you a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Uh, first and foremost, if you're not following the 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 channel either on YouTube where you can go and subscribe and make sure you get notifications there. Go ahead and do that. Uh, and if you're not following it on Spotify or whatever podcasting service, then go ahead and do that as well. It's really helpful if you can go and leave reviews and likes and comments and all those things uh, for exposure. Obviously, uh, obviously those are important, but I've also recently set up a Patreon. And so if you are interested, you can go to patreon.com slash regenerated with that eight in there. And then uh, if you would like to show a little bit of support and get a little bit of exclusive content, and that's a new thing. So we're going to try that out for a little bit and uh, if that flops I have no problem with that it, you, by no means uh, would I expect anyone to be donating any sort of financial support uh, I just hope that you're edified by the content but if it's something that you desire then that would be really uh, beneficial overall so I appreciate you guys watching and so let's jump into the conversation again I have Dr. Scott Annual here very excited to have a conversation about liturgy and worship today uh, but before we get into that let me pray for us and then we will get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you that you've ordered our lives in such a way that we can we can schedule these things out and have these conversations, uh, and that we live in a time where we have the technology to meet together uh, from across fairly large distances, although def Scott is definitely closer than some of my other guests. But God, I just thank you for uh, his ministry. I thank you that for what he's done, and I, God, as he moves on into G3 ministries here soon, I pray for him that uh, that it would be a fruitful ministry and that it would be glorifying to you. God, help our conversations to be centered on you. Uh, help our conversations to be edifying to whoever hears it. God, if we start to say things that are not honoring to you, God, just let those pass over the ear of the hearer. Uh, and God, we, we thank you. We thank you for all of our blessings and the time that we live. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, again, welcome, Scott. I appreciate you being here today. If you wouldn't mind, would you give us just kind of a brief overview of who you are, what you do, sort of titles, books, things like that, uh, that you are currently working on? Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for for having me on. Yeah. Uh, for the last decade, uh, I've been on faculty here at Southwestern seminary in Fort Worth. And uh, my area of focus is very much connected to the topic of our discussion today, and that is history and theology of worship. And so I've taught here in that area for the last 10 years, most recently really focused on our PhD in uh, worship studies, uh, kind of directing that. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, the Lord has directed us uh, to transition, and I'm accepting a position as executive vice president and editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries, and really excited about that. Uh, G3, uh, as, as you may know, has been a conference for the last 10 years, and Josh Bice and Virgil Walker, who's come on as executive director, uh, they're expanding the ministry to certainly include uh, the conference and other regional events. Uh, but also there's a real desire to, uh, to expand and publish and provide uh, books and curricula and other resources on the website for local churches. And so that's going to be largely my role uh, to help to expand that aspect of the ministry, to write, to edit, uh, to help publish and produce videos and online courses and all sorts of things that will, uh, we pray, uh, serve the local church. So I'm really excited about that. Very Sad to leave colleagues and students here at Southwestern have really been thankful for my years here, but very excited about the, uh, the future with G3. Um, so as I mentioned, my primary area of focus is in the area of history and theology of worship. And so uh, most of the things that I've written over the years are in that vein, uh, focused on issues of worship, but issues around that too, like beauty, aesthetics, which is one of my areas of, of focus, culture. A uh, number of years ago, one of my books, By the Waters of Babylon, Worship in a Post-Christian Culture, 
uh, published by Kriegel, sort of focused on that aspect, the interaction of culture with worship. Um, and so um, focusing on, on those sorts of, of issues as well. Uh, and then most, my most recent book uh, published with Free Grace Press just a couple months ago is called Let the Little Children Come. Uh, it's not a book on family worship, both family worship within the church on the Lord's Day, as well as family worship at home the other six days of the week. So uh, sort of lay out a biblical case for uh, why it's important and a lot of practical uh, tips and things there as well. So, uh, so I'm really focused on all aspects of, of local church ministry, specifically focused in the area of worship and trying to help people think biblically and understand historically and theologically uh, what our worship ought to look like according to God's commands and his word. All right. So, yeah, and I definitely, I saw the book, um, Little, Let the Little Children Come, and I'm really excited. I want to get my hands on that really soon because I've yeah. been reading through a bunch of other things, including uh, Praise is His Gracious Choice. I'll plug that for a second, which you have yep. a blurb on here, uh, which I really yep. enjoyed this book. Um, and so I'm putting out a book review on that. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that yet, uh, it's not quite out yet, but I'm going to have a book review on the channel very soon. That's uh, the first of hopefully many of those to come. Uh, but yeah, definitely, that's another book that I would love to get my hands on and then maybe do a video for at some point because yeah. you know i have four children and just the whole concept of family worship was so i wouldn't say foreign to me growing up uh, but it definitely it, seeing a kind of a full orbed picture of what family worship is now and now, now i'm catechizing my kids and doing all these things that i had no exposure to growing up and so uh, you know yeah i think it was lost for a long time in a yeah. lot of evangelical churches and 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 young families seem to be really interested and, mm -hmm. and desirous to recover uh you know family worship again so i'm really encouraged by it i have a, got a lot of really good feedback on the book so i'm thankful yeah definitely uh, yeah i mean that's been uh it's been a joy to see you know i can ask my children who made you and they re reply god made me and we get those answers back yep. i don't know that's just a really uh, it's something that i encourage a lot of people to do and i think uh, so many people that in my church in particular came from a catholic background and so when i say yeah we're using a catechism they go well wait <laughs> <laughs> but it is a very Baptist thing to do, believe it or not. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, well let's... Nettles, who you mentioned there mm -hmm. with the, the the book, Nettles has got a good uh, good catechism, a Baptist catechism. Yeah, definitely. And so, uh, yeah, that's another thing that I need to jump into at some point. I'm all into Nettles right now. I've, I've got I got a book and a book uh, a book box recently. Uh, his biography of, of J.P. Boyce, and then I've been reading By His Grace and For His Glory. So I'm all Nettles out right now. Nice. <laughs> okay, well, let's go ahead and jump into sort of the main uh, topic of discussion, which is liturgy and modern worship. And and the reason I wanted to discuss this, and I always like to kind of give a, a reasoning for why I'm specifically talking about this thing, uh, is because I just, I start to see, uh, after reading Nettle's book in particular, uh, and before that, honestly, but the book really solidified a lot of the concepts, um, you, you know, you start to look at the different worship services at all the churches that I've gone through growing up from, from high school, moving into college, and, and even to now, uh, and then the, from the fact that I led worship for the past, you know, two and a half years or so at my church, um, just with very minimal skills, <laughs> but uh, enough to get by, and uh, having kind of trying to figure out what is a theology around worship and how do we do these things and uh, getting an idea of what is liturgy and why do we need it. Uh, and so just to to get those concepts grounded, I wanted to bring someone like yourself on who would ha be able to answer some questions and uh, and give us a look at what it's like historically, uh, what it can look like now. So I guess to start off, I keep saying the word liturgy and it's there in the title, uh, but would you would you define what a liturgy is for, for the yeah. people who are listening and then maybe give us some examples of what it's looked like historically and maybe in a more modern sense as well? Yeah, sure. So you mentioned a moment ago with the, with the concept of catechism that a lot of people hear that word and they think Roman Catholicism and it makes them a little worried. It's the same thing with liturgy, right? We hear liturgy and we think smells and bells and all that sort of stuff. But uh, actually, the word, the word liturgy comes from a Greek word, liturgia, uh, that is in the New Testament in the context of, of Christ and his high priestly ministry on our behalf. The word liturgia, from which we get our English word liturgy, in its oldest use referred to any, uh, any practices done in a community on behalf of the community. So in its oldest use, that word was used to describe political service or serving in healthcare or you know, anything that was done in a community. Later, it sort of narrowed then to specifically refer to 
uh, acts done on behalf of a, of a religious community. So it came to describe the elements of a worship service and the order of a worship service. And actually, that more narrowed use of the Greek word liturgia really came into prominence with the Greek translation of the Old Testament, because the translators used that word liturgia to describe the various acts done in the temple by the priests or by the people in the corporate worship. And so that word came to describe and came to characterize the various aspects of of corporate worship, what elements we include, and then in what order we include those elements. So what I like to tell people is everybody has a liturgy. Every church has a liturgy, even the the lowest uh, liturgical churches that have no smells and bells whatsoever. There are elements that are included, and there are an order to those elements, and that is a liturgy. So all churches have, uh, have a liturgy. The question is, what elements do we include, and is, is there a better or uh, a better way of ordering the elements within, within worship? You, right, right. you alluded to modern worship today, where there is really not usually a lot of thought put into the order of things. It mm-hmm. might just, there might be a theme in a service, and so songs might be chosen that connect with the theme sort of loosely, or largely in a lot of contemporary worship today, the, the music is chosen based on mood, based on yeah. carrying people through <laughs> a, a series of emotional you know, feelings, which again, that's a liturgy, right? So the question sure. then is, is the scripture inform this at all? Uh, and then also, as you mentioned, what can we learn from, from church history and how people have thought about this? Uh, and, and in terms of how we order our worship and what we include in our worship. And I think that's, those are important questions to ask. Uh, everybody has a liturgy, but not every liturgy has been informed by, by scripture. And so that's, that's really the, the questions that I'm trying to urge people to ask and, uh, and answer in some of the things that I'm writing and as I'm speaking uh, on these sorts of topics in, in various contexts. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's funny, my, my listeners will know that I, I, have come i came from a weird sort of mixed background but uh before i finally have landed more as a reformed baptist and actually rooted myself uh in scripture with that i was part of presbyterian church pca church and so uh very liturgical uh, and much more uh you know you can go into their their bulletin and you can see this is the song of confession this is the song of repentance this is a song of response and renewal and those things are there uh and more or less across the board i would say in presbyterianism but in in baptist circles especially i would say in the sbc and most modern sbc churches that's much more rare uh and and maybe that's just a sample size for me but i've rarely seen those things laid out in you know any sort of bulletin or anything like that Uh, and so that's something that i thought was was interesting and so i guess that's a good segue into the next question which is what are some of the key elements of liturgy should there be specific things like that or is it more the consistency you talked a lot about their the the modern churches that it is a liturgy that idea of sort of an emotional um you know we're trying to drive people the the listener into these emotional um not the worshiper i should say into these emotional peaks and things like that and what does that look like um are, are i guess kind of expand on that a little bit yeah so really, the, the liturgy that we choose, and again, we all do, whether we even yeah. do so intentionally or not, but the, the liturgy serves our theology of worship and serves our goal in worship. So what, what we've seen happen in the last couple hundred years is, a sh- is a, a, an underlying shift in theology of worship, which has shifted the liturgy. Previously, what you experienced in, in you know, a lot of pre- Presbyterian churches but I'll, I will say there are a lot of Baptist churches, especially recently, that are, that are recovering some of this. My own church here in Fort Worth, Church of Christ the King, Baptist Church, but we have the, a very similar liturgy to what you would see in a Presbyterian church. Obviously, our polity is different. Our, mm-hmm. our theology of baptism is different. But the idea of, of a liturgy, which I'll, I'll talk about in a moment, that's rooted in Scripture and rooted in the gospel, is really seeing a bit of a recovery even among Baptists. So I'm really thankful for that. But prior to some of the shifts in theology, uh, people, you know, church leaders rooted their theology of worship and then their liturgy in scripture with a recognition that our purpose on the Lord's Day when we gather, what we're doing in corporate 
uh, church services is not merely individual expression, which is how worship has come to be largely defined. Rather, they recognize, and again, from, from what scripture teaches, that our corporate gatherings are for the purpose of edification, building up the body, and forming us into worshipers who will live for the glory of God seven days a week. So what we're doing, our primary question in a worship service ought to be, how is this service shaping and forming people broadly by the word of God in its Mm -hmm. entirety, and more narrowly, how is it shaping them by the gospel? I think one of the key texts that helps us to recognize the importance of this is Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 14, which is really, if you think about it, it's the only complete chapter in the New Testament that is exclusively focused on the topic of corporate worship. We tend to, I think, skip over 1 Corinthians 14 because it's got a lot of controversial landmines, tongues, prophecy, women being silent, and we just don't Mm -hmm. want to deal with those things. But all of those particulars of the church at Corinth aside, what Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians 14 is critically important for us to, to recognize. He's talking about what we're doing in a corporate worship service and why we're doing it. And over and over again, if you read through 1 Corinthians 14, you find this emphasis on let all things be done for building up. It needs to edify the church. It needs to be understandable for the church so that they can be edified. He's giving these instructions for the purpose of edification. That's our goal. And and sometimes I think that seems counterintuitive to us because we think, well, isn't this about God and isn't this supposed to be about worship? Why are we talking about edification? Well, we have to remember, yes, the broad purpose of all things is the glory of God and God desires for us to be worshipers. And so certainly that is happening in a corporate worship service, but the primary function of a corporate worship service is to form the believers in attendance into worshipers, to mature us and to sanctify us, to build us up, Mm -hmm. like I said earlier, so that we live out our lives in response to who God is and what he has done. And, and our lives become, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, a sacrifice of worship. So I think recovering that understanding of the formative purpose and power of worship as articulated in the scriptures is critically important. And then the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we form people into mature disciple worshipers of, of, of the Lord? So first of all, as I mentioned, that means we're going to rely on the authority and sufficiency of scripture to guide and direct what we do in worship. So in turn, for me, and and, and, and historically among Baptists, especially going back to the early 17th century, uh, particular Baptists in England, the, the focus on the sufficiency of scripture, what is sometimes called the regulative principle Mm -hmm. was critical because what, what Baptists and, and Presbyterians, too, have said since, since you know, the, the Reformation and beyond is that if the purpose of what we're doing is edification and sanctification, and if we recognize that God has given us the regular means through which that is going to take place, he's given, to that, he's given us those means in his word, then we're going to be certain that we only include in our corporate worship those elements that God has prescribed in his word. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to make sure that we do what he's commanded because we believe that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us and builds us up through his word. And so the elements are going to be very simple, really. Uh, sometimes we think of liturgy, we think it's complex. Really, it's very simple if we rely on the sufficiency of the word of God. We're going to preach the word. We're going to sing the word. We're going to pray the word. We're going to, and then we're going to enact the word in baptism and the table. Those are clearly prescribed elements in the New Testament. And if we're going to rely on the sufficiency of the word, then we're not going to add to those. So those are the elements. Then the question is, does it matter what order? And, And here is where we narrow our focus even more to say, okay, it is the word of God in its entirety that sanctifies us. But we also need to always remember that it is, it is the gospel 
that continues to sanctify us even after we come to faith in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. Paul says this in Titus. He says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. So he's referring to gospel grace, but he goes on. He says the gospel doesn't just save us. It also teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It sanctifies us. And so what Christians have said from the earliest New Testament practices uh, all the way up through the first couple centuries of the church, and of course it goes a little haywire in the Middle Ages, but the reformers come back and they recover this, is that the order in which we place the elements, particularly focused on the content of our scripture readings and our songs and our prayers, ought to follow the order of the gospel. Right, Because then what we're doing in corporate worship is we are reenacting the gospel each week, which shapes us and forms us. These are, mm-hmm. like you said, it's the same every week. We don't sing the same things every week. We don't read the same scripture passages. We don't pray the same prayers. Right. There's a variety there from week to week, but we're ordering them in the same way so that every week we have this progression in which we are reenacting the gospel, renewing our covenant relationship with God, so that really what's happening in our corporate worship on the Lord's Day is that he is working upon us through his word and through his gospel to sanctify us and build us up into people who will live out the gospel. That's what we sort of lost when we changed our our theology of worship over the last several hundred years. Yeah, I actually really like that. Um, I guess I hadn't really heard it defined in that way so clearly before the idea of, of it being a representation of, of the gospel itself in the same yeah. sort of order. That's really helpful. Uh, and I, I do think I agree heavily right, that we have lost that in a bit because you go to churches now and, and it's just, let's just get songs out there that are, are, are at least in, in from the consu- consumer, I hate that word, <laughs> but being in the, and the congregation and just listening in some in some church services it's just what's the purpose of this song being here is there, right. is there any sort of connection why am i singing this one at this time it does feel almost just haphazard i guess is the best yeah. way of, of explaining yeah. it so it is good uh, and you know it's it, that's something that i tried to work on was getting uh, songs in particular places but um now now you've got me rethinking my entire structure that i did in my own services so yeah well uh, christians used to refer to this as as a you know each lord's day the worship service is a covenant renewal mm-hmm. it is it is god's work on us he he is renewing his promises to us through the gospel and we are renewing our commitment to him through the gospel and so that that order you know, in our church, you know, it, it's taken different terminology through the years. Sure. Uh, but in our church, it's it's revelation, adoration, confession, propitiation, proclamation, dedication, <laughs> supplication, communion, and commission. Right. So those are the those remain the same week to week. Those broad headings, because that's the gospel. Right. right. We mm-hmm. we encounter God. God reveals Himself to us. We see him in his holiness and splendor that leads us to recognize our unworthiness to be in his presence. So we confess our sins. He is then faithful and just to forgive us our sins through Christ. We are now ready to hear from him as he, as he proclaims his word to us, we respond with commitment to him. And then we are now welcome at his throne of grace for prayers of supplication. And we are welcome to his table, which is the the climax, the most beautiful representation of the fact that we are welcome into the presence of God. And then the service concludes with him sending us out to take that message of the gospel to the world with his blessing. That is then this this regular practice week after week, that covenant renewal that forms and shapes us into people who live in light of our relationship with God through the gospel. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Uh, I want to say somebody sent me a uh, kind of their own bulletin with some of the those headers and they're very similar uh, and I like that it's something that I may have to steal. <laughs> yeah, no absolutely. I mean it's not it's not stealing. Yeah, I mean right. it's not, not right. I mean it's been it's been the practice of the church through the ages. You look at mm-hmm. you know, one really helpful book uh, uh, Brian Chapel's Christ-centered worship. He right. he, mm-hmm. he walks through this and he shows how if you look at um or, you know, medieval liturgy before the Council of Trent, which is when Roman Catholicism really 
uh, sort of settled into its its theological problems. Sure. So if you look at pre pre Trent liturgy, then you look at Luther, you look at Calvin, you look at Westminster, uh, and you even look at some some other groups. There there are certainly are differences, right? Luther was different than Calvin in some ways, etc. But they all follow the same basic what I like to call theologic of the gospel. Hmm. They all follow that same progression. They might use different terminology, different headings and that sort of thing. It's really uh, a, a more recent recovery of this that has that has used some of those languages of revelation, right. adoration, et cetera. But it's it's as old as scripture. And really, it's as old as Israel. You, you go back to the Old Testament, for instance, and you look at the first public worship gathering of the people at Sinai. You, you can see right in the text all of these elements. God calls to them out of the mountain and, and says, come near to me, right? That's revelation. The people see the Lord in all of his splendor on the mountain, adoration. Mm-hmm. But they immediately shrink back, back with fear. Hebrews 12 addresses this as well because they recognize sinners are unworthy to be in the presence of God. God tells them, don't touch the mountain or you will die. That's confession. He gives them a means for, for, for atonement and the sacrificial uh, system that he prescribed that that is ultimately rooted in what Christ will do on the cross. That's propitiation. Then God speaks to them from the mountain. Once they've been forgiven of their sins, he gives them his word proclamation. The people respond with all that you have said we will do. Amen. <laughs> right. That's dedication. And then you, you find a feast, right? The people eat. It, it, it's remarkable. Right. And I think it's Exodus 24 around there. It says, and they ate and drank in the Lord's presence. That is a remarkable statement. They're, they're sinners yeah. who are unworthy to be in God's presence, but because they come through the means that he has prescribed, of course, it is the gospel in, in, a, in, a, in a foreshadowed sense, they are able to eat and drink in God's presence. So all of those elements are there. You see that in David's dedication of the of the uh, the ark in Jerusalem, you see that at Solomon's dedication of the temple, over and over again, you see the same pattern. And so, the when the early church was developing its worship, it is simply looking to Scripture: what are the patterns we have for us, and how ought we to order the way that we do things in our own worship? And really, ultimately, what's fascinating is all of this is is foreshadowing and connecting with the true worship that's taking place in heaven, Hmm. which of course we have two pictures of that in scripture, Isaiah six, and then revelation four through there's several glimpses through the rest of of revelation. And again, in, in, in both of those cases where we're given a glimpse into the worship of heaven, you see the same basic progression of elements within the liturgy of heavenly worship. Hmm. Uh, It's it's most (laughs) succinctly uh, uh, pictured in Isaiah chapter six. God calls Isaiah up, revelation. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, the angels singing, holy, 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 adoration. What is Isaiah's response? Woe is me for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Confession. The seraph takes the coal, places it on Isaiah's lips and says, your sins are atoned for, propitiation. Then God gives the message to Isaiah that he wants to Isaiah to take. Proclamation, Isaiah says, here am I, send me, dedication, and he is sent back into the world with that message. So we're, we're, not, we're not inventing something. This is not right. a creation of some, you know, of some you know, medieval council or something. Yeah. No, this is rooted <laughs> in scripture. It is tied to the gospel. It is connected to the worship of heaven. And if, as Hebrews 12 tells us, when we come to worship, we are drawing near to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, well, we ought to, as much as possible, mimic what we're doing here on earth with the true worship that's taking place in heaven. So it's all rooted in what God has given to us in his word. Yeah, man, I just, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I, I my mind is so, somewhat blown right now. Um, I, I don't know, I guess I've heard some of these things expressed, but not so clearly delineated from scripture in the way that you are. So that's really helpful. And uh, hopefully listeners are appreciating it too. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, then moving from the sort of the elements and, and I guess sort of the key features, which I, I think now we can look back and say is essentially the gospel being put forth in the form of worship. Um, what, what are some of the benefits then, I guess, of having uh, a more 
and let me let me change the question a little bit from what I originally had it for you. Um, rather than saying what are the benefits, I guess individually, what are the benefits sort of corporately as a church? Uh, yeah. Whenever we now we now have these this this visible pattern uh, that is consistent and, and and can recognize sort of what you're saying uh, as as looking at the the whole act of a worship service as a covenant renewal and the following the pattern of the gospel. Yeah. Well, it is. It is I mean, the the primary. O- overarching benefit, and I can get into more specifics too, but the primary overarching benefit is we are making sure that the gospel is regularly shaping and forming who we are. And that's really the yeah. corporate benefit, right? Hopefully, hopefully we're doing that every day of the week. Hopefully we're reading our, our Bible, we're, we're meditating on scripture, we're com- communing with the Lord in prayer. You know, hopefully we're doing that and, and mature Christians will but as, from the church leadership perspective, when we make sure that our, that our corporate worship gatherings are shaped in this way, then we're at least ensuring that our people are being formed in this way at least once a week or twice a week if, we have, you know, if they come to, to more than one service. We're, we're at least assure, ensuring that they're going to be shaped uh, in this way. And hopefully through teaching and then just through what that formation is in the service, it is, it is compelling everyone in the congregation to live that way the, the, the rest of the week. And then, you know, so that's broadly, but on a micro level, all of these elements and even the order are really, really important to teach us theologically the nature of our relationship with God through Christ. I mean, even how the service begins you know, the service begins with God's word, with his revelation. Mm. What that communicates to us is that we are not coming of our own initiative. We're not coming as many modern worship tends to assume to call God down or to invite him right. to us. That, that actually is paganism, right? That's the <laughs> definition of pagan worship. Biblical worship is God has already done something on our behalf. He is the one who is calling to us to draw near to him through through the gospel. I I, I tell our people all the time, we don't invite God to our service. This is his service. Mm. He's already here and he is inviting us. So by beginning every service with a call to worship, with with, with a revelation of God, we are communicating that to the people. Then when we move to to adoration, we're, we're... we're forming people by who God is, immediately followed by confession. This sometimes is confession is one of those elements that a lot of Baptists, a lot of evangelicals really, you know, are not, are, are concerned about. Really, ought, ought we have confession in the service? Isn't that Roman, Roman Catholic, right? There's another, <laughs> another uh, often uh, a thought. Sure, yeah. But the power of weekly confession is that, again, we are both ensuring that we are, we don't think we're coming because we're so great. Right. We don't think that we're coming on the merits of our own righteousness. We are humbly coming, recognizing that we are, we are sinners. Even as, even as Christians, we continue to sin. We're not worthy of our own merits to be here in the presence of God. We're, we're acknowledging that there is a humbling that takes place when we corporately confess our sins every single week in the worship service. And again, hopefully we're doing that every, every day of the week, yeah. right? We're supposed to keep short accounts with God. We're supposed to be confessing. But if we get out of the habit, if we backslide aside a little bit, if we, have we, if we haven't developed that practice of regular confession of our sins to God, then at least on the Lord's day, we're ensuring that we do that, and it's it's helping to give us the the biblical language for confession. Sure, yeah. it helps to give us those those biblical words to use to confess our sins to the Lord. So that's forming, and then rejoicing in the gospel. Uh, the difference between Roman Catholic penitence and truly biblical confession is that it is not a priest who is absolving the people. In our church, every week we have a corporate prayer of confession. And then one of the elders gets up and we read uh, uh, an expression from the word of God of the gospel. And then we say, brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Christ, your sins are forgiven. 
and the entire congregation says, the Lord be praised, right? So we are rejoicing in the fact that we are forgiven in Christ. So all of this is forming us and shaping us to be people who are, who are, are shaped by the gospel, who are living out the gospel, uh, so that this becomes a regular pattern every day of the week in the entirety of our lives. It's, it's, it's leading us to be people who live in light of the gospel, when otherwise left to ourselves, we might forget, we might allow temptation and the world to, to, to pull us away from, from, from God. But the, the gatherings of the church, these gospel renewal ceremonies uh, each week are, are helping us to renew ourselves. Really, you know, that idea of covenant renewal, the, the picture of a marriage is perfect mm. as an illustration of this. And of sure. course, that's biblical Christ in his <laughs> church, right? If you think about it, uh, you know, when a husband and wife get married, uh, they 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 say vows to one another, right? That is that is uh, uh, that is um, uh, that that really is akin to our baptism, a public profession. Really, you know, their their love develops earlier, right? They they make a commitment to each other. So so there's a, there's an imagery there, mm-hmm. and then that now they're married, right? You're married till death do you part. But we know that even a married couple, their relationship rises and falls. <laughs> there's problems. There's things to deal with. And there are many ways to rekindle the relationship. Um, our, our daily devotional time with the Lord that hopefully each Christian is, is engaged in is like having a conversation between a wife and a husband, right, in order to kindle that relationship. But one of the things that some couples do is they renew their wedding vows, right? They, they, they renew those same vows that they said maybe years earlier, and the, the renewal of their wedding vows is not getting them married again, right. <laughs> but it is rekindling their relationship. And that is exactly what we're doing in a gospel-shaped worship service. It's not getting us saved again, right? We, we have, God has committed to us and no one will be able to pluck him out of, out of his hand. But by renewing our vows to the Lord and he to us, through a gospel-shaped liturgy, that is rekindling our relationship with him when maybe the previous week we've fallen away from him. Maybe we've mm-hmm. forgotten uh, who, you know, our relationship with him through the gospel. That covenant renewal ceremony is like renewing our wedding vows so that we are rekindling our love for God and being reassured in his love for us through Christ and the gospel. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a, a wonderful picture, and I think that that's helpful. The whole marriage analogy, uh, which works in so many ways and so many things yeah, in yeah. the Christian life, doesn't it? Um, and it's no wonder why it's 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 uh, God's God's sort of plan for us. So the I guess the primary criticism then that people give whenever you start talking about liturgical structures and things like that, and, and even in my own experience, if I start to mention, okay, well, I want to do the do things in this this way in this sort of set order, and obviously it's going to look different, a little bit different from week to week in the particulars, but having a kind of a structure, um, some people will levy the criticism actually that then that's going to turn worship into some kind of wooden and stoic uh, exercise that doesn't allow for the Lord to work in some way, and, and I mean I have my own thoughts and answers on that, but how would you answer somebody who gives that sort of criticism? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would first say, you know, that can be true of anything that God commands us to do. Sure. God commands us to do something and we could, because we are sinners, because we are, you know, we are frail. We we could just do it out of mere habit and rote and mindlessly and, and woodenly. Right. And, And very easily we could fall into that. Uh, and and we ought to pray that we that we don't. That doesn't mean that we stop doing it though, right? Some people think, well, it's just, you know, it it, it um, you know, what if what if I don't authentically feel, you know, this particular expression that we're doing? You know, what if what if what if there's this prayer of confession or this prayer or this song of adoration or whatever, and I don't really feel it right now? Well, this is where shifting our theology is so important. It's not sure, about yeah. what I feel right now. It's about shaping how I feel. It's about giving me biblical language. It's about molding and maturing my responses. Somehow we think that whatever is authentic to me is automatically going to be the best. Well, not necessarily. We're still <laughs> sinners. Our, our authentic expression might be you know, immature, might be 
you know, uh, um, unworthy of the splendor and greatness of God, right? We need yeah. to allow ourselves to be shaped. So, so, uh, so in that sense, it's even if we don't feel it, if we have an intentionality behind what we're doing, then it is beneficial for us. Uh, a good parallel, and really is like learning any skill, whether it's learning a musical instrument or learning to play a sport, you know, you, you go through a series of rituals, really, if you yeah. think about it. Like it's if true. You're, you, know, you, you, you play your scales over and over again, or mm-hmm. you, you do that swing over and over and over again. That's a sort of liturgy. Hmm. Can it be wooden? Absolutely. But does it have to be? No, it does not. If I come with a genuine desire to improve, a genuine desire to grow. So, you know, you can tell the difference between a piano student who's just going through the motions or a piano student who's playing her scales because she knows that this will help her to improve. Mm-hmm. The, the actual practice is the same. The difference is the internal heart motivation. Sure. So the problem with yeah. liturgy that becomes wooden, and it sometimes does, is not the fault of the liturgy. It's <laughs> not the fault of the practices that have been prescribed by God and his word. The, the fault is in the heart, is in the, right. the, the intentionality of the worshiper. And so I would just say here, these practices are meant to help us. Let's come to them with, with you know, as, as, uh, as the author of Hebrews says in, in chapter 10, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, believing that these are the, the means through which, the regular means through which God has promised to sanctify us. If we approach these things with the right heart perspective, they will never be, be wooden if we have that sort of perspective. To, to answer the question of, you know, are we stifling the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes you hear that. I would just say this. You, we are, I think our expectation of how the Holy Spirit normally works hasn't been informed by Scripture it's right. been informed by recent theological movements in the last 100, 150 years. If you look at the Bible and you look at how the Holy Spirit normally works, sometimes he works in extraordinary ways, right? But actually, those are relatively rare. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit of God works through order. He always works through his word. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 14 a little while ago. That whole passage is about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's about Holy Spirit-given gifts. Yeah. And, and Paul makes a strong argument, even, even when the Holy Spirit was giving the gift of tongues and prophecy, he did it through order. God is not a God of disorder. God is a God right. of peace. I would say a service that is disorderly, that is all about spontaneity and freedom, that is actually evidence that the Holy Spirit is not at work. Paul said, if the Holy Spirit is truly working, let all things be done decently and in order. So it's really mm-hmm. a misplaced theology of the Holy Spirit that assumes if we have too much order, we're going to stifle the Holy Spirit. Wrong. If our order is from the Word of God, we are including elements that the Holy Spirit of God inspired for us to include. We're including an order of the gospel that the Holy Spirit has promised to work through. If that's the order that we use, then we can have confidence the Holy Spirit is going to work through this order. Right. And so it doesn't have to be wooden, and, and, it, and, it, and it isn't. I mean, I can speak from experience in our, in our own church. Um, again, you know, the, the hymns are different from week to week. The scripture passages we read are different. The prayers are different from week to week. So there, it's not like it's the same every week. Uh, a lot of late medieval liturgy devolved into just, it was the same words every week, just sure. said by yeah. rote. And yeah, that absolutely became, became wooden and became legalistic. No, So we sing different things and we read different mm-hmm. scriptures and we pray different things, but they're in the same order. It never feels wooden. Uh, because we recognize what we're doing. We're renewing ourselves in the gospel. We're rejoicing in forgiveness through Christ. We're coming in humility, recognizing our need of salvation. And so it's not wooden. It's, it's rich. It is transformative, and it is beautiful when we recognize what we're doing and we enter into it with a true heart and full assurance of faith.
yeah, I think that's uh, that's a it's a beautiful picture. I um, yeah. I I think that it's funny to see churches that are are you see video clips out there right of, of churches who are doing that kind of spontaneous and and calling on the Holy Spirit to come and like invade or something. You know, like there's going to be some kind of physical spontaneous um, combustion of the spirit amongst the congregation that's there or something. But I, like you say, you know, and I, I tell people at my church all the time, you know, we're here to practice the ordinary means of grace. Uh, right. And and that includes the, the reading of the word and the, the elements that we talked about earlier, obviously. Yep. Um, but I think that it, it's hard because what we're seeing is it's, it's conflicting and competing with, with the way that the culture experiences experiences I, I use that word very intentionally um they they have experiences with other people with other relationships they they expect emotional highs and lows and they expect um they expect to sort of be carried along by by their heart rather than their their heads a little bit and i don't like to to use that terminology so um you know, you make that dichotomy, but in, in a yeah. way, I think that it's helpful. Uh, I don't, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, but, and I would also put it this way: it, it's about the order. It's not that emotion is is bad, right? In fact, you know, though, you know, Jonathan Edwards argued that the 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 the, uh, the core of biblical religion are the religious mm -hmm. affections, right? It, it is a heart of love for God. So we're going to experience emotions. Emotions are not bad. God has given us a body. God has given us feelings. He's given us these experiences, different personalities, and those sorts of things. The difference, though, is the order in which they occur and the means through which they occur. Hmm. If, if, you know, what, what has happened in much of modern worship is we like the immediacy of the feelings. And so we've gravitated towards using various means that artificially stimulate emotions immediately without, and this is where I agree with you, without anything happening in the mind or anything happening really even in the heart, it's just a physical thing. It's like you round a corner and someone goes, boo, and you just have a, an involuntary <laughs> yeah. emotional response to a stimulus. That's what a lot of worship has become. We, we, you know, really masters at this, engineer the service with a particular music and instrumentation, and in some cases, lights and smoke and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. sure. It's all very carefully engineered to stimulate feelings, and it works. It, it creates an atmosphere that then, to connect with our previous discussion, we interpret to be the Holy Spirit, right? It's these feelings that we interpret to be the, the work of the Holy Spirit, rather than again, recognizing that the Holy Spirit works through the word, that we need to do, like you said, we need to follow the regular means of grace that are, that are prescribed in his word with this progression of the gospel, which, which means that the feelings are not necessarily going to be immediate. Our minds have to be engaged. We have to understand what we're singing and what we're hearing and what we're doing. And then when we understand what God has promised to us in the gospel and who he is in all of his glory and splendor and what Christ did for us and all of that, mm. that certainly will produce what we call feelings. Sure. But really, but they take, it takes a little bit more right intentionality and they're not artificially stimulated. They're actually deeper and more profound mm. affections of the soul that sustain us in the midst of adversity, that carry us through, you know, tribulation and testing. Whereas the the feelings that are created just through artificial stimulation, they come real quickly and they go real quickly. God wants us to have true, deep joy in Him that only comes by the Holy Spirit working through his word. Right. In a sense, in a lot of modern worship, we're, we're trying to artificially do the work of the Holy Spirit through music. Mm. Music has become a replacement for what the Holy Spirit has promised to do through his word. That, wow. That's yeah. the big problem. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And to kind of give an example, I guess, in my own personal experience, uh, I mean, I can listen to any number of incredible, really well put together modern 
songs just from a musical standpoint i mean i've grown up around music my whole life and as i listen to some of these songs they they can swell and it might bring a tear to my eye <laughs> and i don't know why i really have no idea genuinely other than that I, I understand that god has programmed our brains to respond in certain ways to certain consonances and dissonances and music and the swelling and the uh, and so, you know, when those things happen, I'm like, that was a really beautiful piece of music, but I don't really know why I'm emotionally affected by it. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to, I can listen to, my favorite hymn is Rock of Ages, right? And I can I can sing, uh, I can sing that song and, and go through the, the words of it. And it just now, and of course, I'm talking about it and completely blanking on the words, talking about the law and the gospel. Oh my gosh. But uh, I can listen to that song and, and, and reflect on the truths of that. And if I, 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 it's kind of a running joke at my church that I can't sing that on stage. I, I just, I literally can't. I can't get through it. So, and it's one of those things that the, yeah. the truths of the, of the, the, you know, the, the words that are rooted in scripture are what's actually bringing about that emotion. Yeah. Uh, and that's, important. and by the way, this is not just a contemporary issue. It's not just, it's not only contemporary mm-hmm. music that often does this. I mean, even, even, you know, a, an organ can right. be played in a certain way to artificially create feelings that we interpret to be spiritual. A large orchestra, a piano, right? Any of these things can and have been uh, throughout sure. history used in manipulative ways. No matter what the instrumentation is, what I we, we ought to aim for modesty, I believe, that the music is there for a purpose, but it is there to support and communicate the truth both to our minds and to our hearts. It's more than just a rational thing, but it's communicating these things to us in a modest way that doesn't manipulate our feelings, but that again, allows the Holy Spirit to use the word like he promised that he would use. And and then you're right. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we experience intense emotion because of it. Other times we don't, and we ought to be okay with that. I mean, that's part of the problem too. If we addict ourselves hmm. to high emotion and we assume that that is true worship, then if we don't feel something one particular week, we start to worry, have I truly worshiped? But really, yeah. again, that's paganism. That's paganism. True biblical worship says, you know, if I have drawn near to God through Christ, I have followed what he has commanded in his word, and I have done so with sincerity of heart and faith in him. Then I have worshiped whether or not I felt something. And maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I know that I've worshiped because I've come with sincerity through Christ, following the instructions he's given to, uh, to us in his word. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, I have one sort of final question that will hopefully wrap us up. For, for churches that have, or this is a whole new concept to them. The whole thing has very, been very forward, and they're used to a more modern method of worship. Um, I guess what kind of advice would you give to the people who are, are running things and are maybe sort of, sort of starting to see um, the need for a, a liturgy of any sort, or at least a more, uh, maybe not a liturgy, but maybe a more uh, conscientious it's hard to say <laughs> conscientious lit- uh, liturgy saying we're going yeah. to go through and and follow this kind of pattern um as far as as trying to teach the congregation uh, who is there the membership that's there uh and yeah. and pulling them along in that and just the actual practical matter of of getting those things done what are the kind of advice that you would have for a worship leader or a pastor who's trying to get that done yeah uh, well, I would say, first of all, just like with any change that a pastor is trying to make in the church, you know, even for good, take it slowly, right? Yeah. You, you've got to be pastoral. I've had to learn that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, even, even if you, you believe it's right and maybe, and it is right, you, you've got to be pastoral, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 our goal is not this sort of ideal ivory tower, perfect worship service, right? Our, our goal is to shepherd our people. And so you, you've got to take it slowly. You've got to shepherd the people through this. And then what I, what I recommend, some things you really have to teach before you implement them. And some things actually are better caught before they're taught. And you have to kind mm-hmm. of, you know, some of those, it just depends on the situation. Like, like I, you know, I think you, you know, very quickly, if a lot of, a lot of churches just don't have scripture reading in the service, it's right. just not there. 
start. You're right. I mean, that's something, If even if people start to complain, you can say, listen, this is the word of God. How can we worship the Lord without his word, right? So you can start to do that. Um, you can even start to order your service in the progress of the gospel without even drawing attention to it right away. Just in what songs you choose, what scripture passages you choose, what prayers you pray, and the order that you do it in. You don't have to have a bulletin with headings yet. You don't have to draw right. attention to, you know, this is a gospel-shaped liturgy. You don't have to use the L word. Just choose the order. Start with scripture, scripture that calls us to worship. Then sing a hymn about the greatness of God. Pray a prayer of praise to him. Read a passage of scripture that reminds us that we're sinners and we need, we need forgiveness. Uh, um, you know, then sing a, sing a song about the cross. And then, you know, read a passage that rejoice, you know, you understand what, what my point here. You can just, you can just do the elements that way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes maybe confession, especially a sort of a prayer of confession is something that you probably need to teach about first, because if you just start doing it, people might get a little, a little uh, antsy if they don't understand why. Um, yeah. Although I have, I have some friends who will, will use their, their pastoral prayer. Maybe, maybe their church is accustomed to pastoral prayer. They'll include within their pastoral prayer just a little, a few sentences of confession. Again, just to just to begin to introduce that, and then you probably have to to teach about it before you do anything uh, more than that. So I think some things you can just start to introduce over time. You can have some teaching opportunities and say, "I want to show you what we've been doing the last year. Look at the order of our service." Notice the progression. Has anybody noticed that? Maybe they have noticed that, right? And you can start to then explain, again, as much as possible by going to the Word, showing the example of Isaiah 6, showing the examples from the Old Testament, from the book of Revelation, you know, showing them that this comes from Scripture, using examples in church history. Not that history is authoritative, but it is valuable for our learning, just like we use creeds or confession uh, right. confessions, we ought to, to look at the liturgies of, of, of ages past and learn from them. So I think over time, uh, uh, you can teach people uh, the value of this. And again, just speaking from experience from a, from a church that regularly wor- worships every week like this, once the people get it, they, they can't go back. They, they recognize the, the depth and the richness of, of worship in this way. And it is so meaningful, and I hear comments all the time uh, from our congregation how, how thankful they are for, for this kind of worship. Uh, and by the way, we, you know, we have a new members class like most churches do, and two weeks of those new, member cla- mem- new members class, we teach through this because we want wow. people who are coming into our, our church to, to know why we do what we do. Yeah. You know, most of the people who come and join our church aren't looking for what we're doing. They don't know that it exists, yeah. <laughs> but they come, they, they usually, I usually hear comments like, okay, this is not like anything I've experienced before in a Baptist church, but there's, there's something going on here, right? I remember one, one man said, this was weird, but there's a lot of scripture and that's gotta be a good thing. You know, so they start to recognize the value, but they might not know why. And so we take them through two weeks of a new members class and walking them through our theology of worship, taking our order of worship, explaining, you know, why we do every element of the service. That teaching is so necessary Mm. and so so important if you want to implement this sort of thing in in a church. That's awesome. Well, thank you, brother, for for all of that. It's really helpful uh, information just in general from a practical sense for me, uh, even though I'm sort of stepping back a little bit from some of the worship responsibilities right now. uh, I'm still happy to take that in and then maybe push it out later. (laughs) Uh, But also just all of the historical information, everything that uh, that was really, really it was one of the this has been a really great episode for me personally uh, just to get a, get a lot of good information out of so i appreciate it uh, so kind of transitioning out uh, can you give us just some places where we would find you online things that you'd want to plug <laughs> yeah sure so uh so g3min.org the website of, of g3 ministries is of where i'm blogging now and, and podcasts can be ac- accessed there uh by, by the waters of babylon is my podcast um, I've got a website, scottannual.com, where I've got like speaking itinerary and audio and other things that, that people can download. All my books are 
you know, uh, a list of there at scottannual.com. So uh, Twitter, Scott Annual, Facebook, Scott Annual. So pretty easy to find kind of around the uh, around the web. All right, guys, check them out there. I'll put all those links below in the description of the video or the description of the podcast. So uh, if you are looking for them, then you can find them there. But also just make sure you follow Scott. He's gotten some really incredible content. And I know a lot more is coming now, especially that you have um, that position with G3. I've already seen some articles and things like that getting ready to be put out. So I uh, yep. I appreciate your ministry, brother. And I thank you for coming on today. Thanks. Would you mind yeah. praying to uh, close us out here? Sure, I'd be glad to. Thank you. Well, we are so thankful for the privilege we have of drawing near to your presence, not because of anything that we have done, but only because of the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the ministry of your church and the way that we who are leading uh, in our churches can uh, help to disciple our people and be discipled ourselves. And I pray that you would maybe impress upon some listening today the importance of making sure that what we are doing is rooted in your word, is rooted in the gospel, is formed and shaped by the gospel, so that the people in our churches will be shaped by your word and the gospel. And so I pray that this would be an encouragement, that this would be a help, and ultimately our desire is that you would be honored and glorified, and we long for that day when we will actually be in your presence physically surrounding your throne and worshiping you again, still because of Christ, but in in the perfection of eternity. We pray that that day would come quickly in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Regenerated Radio. If this resource was edifying or encouraging, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel for live podcasts, theology primers, book reviews, and more. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.